So I think today, um, I believe it's September 21st, on my way home from school, uh, I this is going to be a re-articulation of a seminar that I presented um, almost three years ago when I was a it was a mathematics seminar at Grand Rapids Community College. It was um, almost yeah it, it was towards the end of my junior year. <clears throat> so I was uh, I was freshly 16 and um, I gave the seminar about the Rubik's Cube. So uh, I haven't solved the Rubik's Cube in a while. It's been a few weeks. Um, but I used to solve at least a few hundred times every day. And my mathematics professor was, um, he was very uh, new to the Rubik's Cube. He could solve a 3x3. Three three. Uh, he had some difficulties with the 2x2. Two two. Um, and he was working on the 4x4. Four four. Uh, he, he would get to a case called um, parity which is where, so the, the general method for solving a 4x4 four four is where you um, basically, 4x4 four four and all other um, n by n by n cubes greater than a 3x3, three three. so 5x5, five 6x6, five six six, etc. All it is, is you're reducing it down to uh, the 3x3. Three three. Now, the, the top speed cubers for... Uh, for the 4x4, four four, they use a different method, um, which is, it, it's just a slight modification called, uh, it's called the Yao method, um, Y-A-U, and that one's just a little bit faster, but uh, most people for all other, um, for all other n by n by n cubes use something called uh, redux, or, or the reduction method. Um, or a slight modification of that called free slice, but it's just minor details. Um, so free slice is a little bit faster, but it's, it's all essentially the same concept of reducing it down to a 3x3. Three three. And I've spent far too long on this already, but um, he would get down to that point, and for even-numbered cubes, so 4x4, 6x6, 8x8, etc., there's something... Uh, where uh, basically it looks like an impossible case on the Rubik's Cube. Um, so like one of the edges is flipped because they have an even amount of, um, of edge pieces. So you can actually flip them over and swap them with each other. Um, and that creates this weird parity uh, something that it looks like it shouldn't be possible, but it is. And so my math professor, he would, calc, calc and stats specifically, he, he would get to this point and he would go to me for help and, and say, I just keep messing it up again to resolve it and hoping that I don't get the parity case. Um, which, 
honestly is a respectable method. I don't even know if I remember the algorithm for, for solving parity. Um, given this four minute, very long introduction, uh, it, it gets more boring from here. So um, I gave this presentation, this math seminar, and um, I started talking about the basics of solving it. So uh, the basics are, are you don't solve a Rubik's Cube from uh, each side to side. You solve a Rubik's Cube uh, from bottom to top. So what you do is you make one side and you permute it correctly. So that means uh, a lot of people will solve one side and, or quote-unquote solve one side. And, um, you look at the edges, or, or the rather the, uh, let's say you put that one side that you've quote-unquote solved on the bottom, and none of the rest of the cube is solved. There is not colors together. Um, once you correctly solve one side, that should create a solid band. If you put that solve side on the bottom, that should create a solid band along the bottom layer that's solved, right? So um, what you do is you solve and correctly solve that bottom layer so it creates a solid band. You add in the middle band, uh, and you solve the first two layers. That, that step is called F2L, first two layers. And at that point, you, um, you go on to orienting the last layer, OLL, um, and that means, let's say you started with white, which means white is on bottom and yellow is on top. Orienting yellow would mean that you, uh, it's kind of like, it's kind of like making it into that quote unquote solved state where all the yellow stickers are on top, um, but they're not all in the order that they should be. So the top band is not fully made. Um, and then you go around re rearranging those pieces, uh, and uh, until the cube is solved. So that's that's the basic rundown. Um, the first two layers are intuitive. You don't use any algorithms. You don't need to. It would go a lot slower if you did use algorithms. Uh, the the last layer, orientation and permutation of the last layer. Um, those two steps, you do need algorithms. You don't technically need them, but it would help if you had some. They're very useful. Um, if you know all of the algorithms in the basic Friedrich method, as it's called, um, developed by Jessica Friedrich in uh, the early 2000s, I think, or maybe maybe in the 90s, I don't remember. But um, it's the most popular speed cubing method at this point. It's also called CFOP. Uh, because you start with a cross on the bottom and then you go to first two layers, orientation of the last layer, permutation of the last layer, so that's CFOP. Um, anyway, where was I? Uh, but yeah, so there, there's a certain amount of algorithms for orientation and permutation. Um, in total, it's like 80-something. Uh, 27 for permutation and 50 something for orientation. Uh, as you get further away from the solve state, there are more algorithms to go to the next step, which makes sense why there's more algorithms in orientation. So my, my seminar topic was, it was just to answer this question, 
Is there a single algorithm that can produce a solved permutation from any other permutation of the Rubik's Cube? To answer this question, we should start off figuring how many permutations are there on the Rubik's Cube, and um, as complex as, or simple as the answer may seem, uh, it's, you know, it's not too difficult to do. Um, so imagine putting in all of the edge pieces. Um, so there are uh, 12 places to put them. Um, so what you do is you take 12, multiply it by 11, multiply it by 10. Imagine it this way, you, you put the 12th piece in, and then you, then you have 11 more spots. So you multiply it by 11. And then you put the 11th piece in, and then you have to multiply it by 10 because there are 10 more spots. Um, etc. And now, let's say you flip one edge piece, you have to multiply it by 2. Because now, all of a sudden, you have all these other edge pieces in there, um, or all these other permutations created by the flipped edge piece. So you multiply by two. There are uh, twelve edge pieces. So you multiply by two twelve times. So twelve factorial uh, times two to the twelfth power. Um, if I'm if I'm remembering this correctly, and. Uh, then you do the same thing with corners. There are eight corners, so it's uh, eight factorial. And then um, corners can be twisted three ways, and there are eight of them, so three to the eighth power. You multiply all this out, and you get uh, like 500 and something uh, quintillion. Or no, I think it's, I don't quite remember um, the exact number. But basically, it's too much. It's too much. and. What you have to do at that point is you divide by a number of orbits, and orbits are, there are extra orbits created by, um, let me, let me think of how to put this simply. Orbit, an orbit is like a, a cycle of permutations, so every time you twist, like, when we're imagining flipping one of the edge pieces, so the, the uh, 2 to the 12th power part. Um, when you flip one of those edge pieces, you create a new orbit because you have all these new permutations that just flooded in. Um, so, uh, but if you flip an edge piece, um, the Rubik's cube can't be solved by just doing the normal, um, the normal moves. You have to flip another edge piece. So there's a certain amount of impossible permutations, and you can. Um, you can figure out, you know, how how many times you can flip an edge piece for there to be another possible permutation. Because if you flip an edge piece twice, then it's another possible permutation. So basically, uh, if you flip an edge piece an even number of times, or if you flip a corner in the same direction a multiple of three times, uh, then it results in another possible permutation. Um, if you if you were to swap an edge piece, you have to do that an even number of swaps to create another possible permutation. Um, I believe that swapping corners doesn't matter. I don't remember correctly. Uh, but anyway, 
at that point, uh, you can start to think about, okay, what would it take to get an algorithm that cycled through all of those thir- permutations? The final permutation calculation, by the way, is uh, about 34 quadrillion. Um, so what does it take to, to have an algorithm that cycles through all 34 quadrillion of those, where if you just keep turning, you'll finally get to a solved state eventually? Um, so that takes some knowledge about algorithms. Um, so an algorithm is a certain sequence of moves, uh, moves being like twisting the, the, each face in a different in, in uh, either clockwise or counterclockwise. And each, each algorithm has, has what's called an order. And the order is uh, how many times you repeat it before it goes back to the original permutation. So every algorithm, if you repeat it enough times, it will go back to the original permutation. And uh, so that number actually has a maximum. There is a maximum uh, order for any algorithm, and that number is 1,260. And there's a large complex proof for this, which I did not have the knowledge to uh, analyze or go in depth on. So I just kind of left it out, and I showed the literature for it. Um, So anyway, you have a a maximum of uh, 1,260 for an order. And if our definition of, of... this so-called God's algorithm, which can solve the Rubik's Cube from any permutation, uh, if that definition is that the algorithm has to be repeated a, an, a, an integer number of times, so a whole number, um, then it just can't exist because 1,260, surprise, surprise, is less than uh, 34 quadrillion. So um, that's thoroughly disproven. However, there is, there are other definitions. So, uh, say for example, we we redefine God's algorithm to be that, okay, you don't have to repeat it a whole number amount of times. You can cut short essentially. If you're going through this algorithm and you happen to come across the um, the solved state then you can stop there. You don't have to keep going and finish the algorithm. You can stop in the middle. So at that point, uh, it becomes a little bit... It becomes possible, but not very, not particularly useful. So at that point, uh, you can have a an algorithm that works. It would just be... It would be 34, uh, I believe the number is actually quintillion, not quadrillion. Um, so you divide 34 quintillion by 1,260, and you come out with a new number, uh, more than billions of moves long. So at that point, that doesn't really work either, because you're essentially randomly turning it. However, there is one more definition that kind of comes at it from the more uh, speed cuber side of things, not the not the math side of things, and that is um, that is when you use 
things called commutators and conjugates. So that's when you take a single algorithm that swaps a certain amount of pieces. You can perform it once, and then you can rotate the cube. Or you can do something called a setup move, where you do one twist, you do an algorithm, and then you turn that twist back to where it was, and that, that's a very useful way to make algorithms. Um, long story short, that method can work. You can solve the Rubik's Cube with only one algorithm. It's just the hardest way to do it. There are very few... I mean, that's so unnecessary, and it takes someone who knows how to solve the Rubik's Cube extremely well to be able to do in the first place. Um, so, ultimately, God's algorithm, uh, by any of those definitions, doesn't exist in the way that people want it to, which is... Uh, a magical way to solve the Rubik's Cube without really thinking about it. Um, so that was kind of the main point of my seminar. It went on for an hour, and this is just approaching the 17-minute mark with a lot of a lot of um, sidetracking. So this was long and boring even for me. If you listen this long, just wow. Wow. <laughs>